Alrighty, so hello everyone again. Hoping see if more people come along as they do. Dave, you'll leave when you need to leave. See how this goes. Alright. We are in double parsha this week, Parshat Achrei Mot Kedoshim. And the parsha is um, sort of quite divided in a sense that Yom Kippur, as we know, is a, ver- a day that is very much de- dedicated to um, to Hashem. In fact, the way the, the Volna Gohan talks about it is that Purim and Yom Kippurim are two parts of a, two parts of the same whole, and that uh, ordinarily every festival of the year has part of it that is dedicated to um, ourselves and between uh, to self indulgence. So there's meals and there's uh, celebration, and there's part that is dedicated to Hashem that is through davening and the like. And so every festival has both elements. But Yom Kippur is 100% dedicated to Hashem because there is no personal enjoyment. And Purim is much more the latter, that it's all personal enjoyment and very little part of Hashem. So, you know, so they become uh, sort of the two halves of the one half. Now, what happens on uh, Yom Kippur is all dedicated to achieving atonement. And uh, that's the part of, your, uh, of Pasha Achremot, which predominantly deals with, the, um, with uh, Yom Kippur. Then you go into Pasha Kedoshim, which sort of goes on the complete opposite layer, which is start talking predominantly about relationships between man and man and the whole, um, whole uh, interpersonal realm and the vast majority of, uh, not majority, but significant amount of interpersonal relationships. So, why don't we just talk? We're going to go through a whole bunch of different ideas that come out of the parasha. Let's start with the first one that will be on your screen at the moment. So this is a pasuk that should be familiar to, uh, to everybody. It says, lechem lechukat olam. And will be for you an eternal decree. That in the seventh month, on the tenth of that month, you should afflict your souls. And you should not do any malacha. The, you, the, the citizen, and all, and even the stranger amongst you. Sorry, let's skip there. Because on this day, it will atone for you to purify you from all your sins in front of Hashem, you will be purified. (coughs) All right, so now this is, we see this come multiple times in Yom Kippur. So it comes actually on, uh, in the Musaf service, it comes immediately uh, after we bow. Um... Uh, in, in the Musaf when we bow down three times in the Kohanim so it comes over there but it comes a lot of t- so what, how do you understand this Pasuk because on this day I will, I, will, I will atone for you and purify you from all your sins in front of Hashem you will become purified so look how the Gomorrah understands it out Rabbi Lazar ben Azar Elazar ben Azariah yeah familiar with that from uh, Pesach said a month ago for you <coughs> to cleanse you of all your sins you shall be clean before the Lord Transgressions between a person and God, Yom Kippur atones. Transgressions between man, one person and another, Yom Kippur does not atone until he appeases the other person. So understanding the way that, that Rabbi Lazar and Azariah is reading out this Pasuk. So it says, Ki because on this day, to purify you, from all your sins in front of Hashem, Titaru, 
you will be purified. Not you will be purified from all your sins in front of Hashem. All your sins in front of Hashem, you will be purified. But the sins that are not in front of Hashem, i.e. that between you and your fellow man, those sins you will not be purified from. Okay, So those you will not be purified until such time as you go and appease your fellow man. So this is learned. So what this is like, um, you know, there's a, the famous story of the Yeshiva Bochas. There's a beach that's saying danger, no swimming. And a bunch of Yeshiva Bochas swimming in the beach. And this lifeguard comes, get out of the water. Don't you read the sign? It says danger, no swimming. They said, oh, I'm sorry. We misread it. Said, How do you misread it? We, he said, we read it. Danger? No. Swimming. So it's like, it depends where you put the comma. So, that's the way we always read it. You will become purified in front of Hashem. You shall come clean before the Lord. That's how we read it. But Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, no, says, you will become clean from all sins in front of Hashem. You will become purified. <coughs> Only the sins in front of Hashem. So that is, you know, Quite powerful. So if you've uh, spoken Loshan Hora, or you've cheated someone in business, or you've had uh, whatever the case might be, you've done something wrong to a fellow person, so there, you don't have the luxury of Yom Kippur. It's not going to do that. So if you uh, bear a grudge against someone, or you take a revenge, or all the other mitzvahs, you play a stumbling block, and, blah, 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 and so long as you hold on to that, you, you will not be atoned on Yom Kippur. Now, what would you not be on atoned for? So if you read that, so I spoke Loshon Hora. So what a Vaira do I not get Kapara for? So that's Loshon Hora. I won't get Kapara. So I ate Traif. I'm Chalot Shavas. So those Yom Kippur atones. But speaking Loshon Hora, not until I go and speak to the person I spoke Loshon Hora about, do I get a tone. But there's a book. I didn't bring the commentary here in the Ein Yaakov. Ein Yaakov is a collection of uh, various allegorical um, Agadic, Agadic uh, Gomorrahs. And I think it's called the Eitz Yosef over there. He says, what does Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah mean? He says, Yom Kippur does not atone until he appeases other person. Not Yom Kippur doesn't atone for those sins. Yom Kippur doesn't atone at all. Meaning, can Yom Kippur, like the, the concept of repentance, can you atone for some of your sins? So let's say I go in front of Hashem and I say, Hashem, I'm terribly sorry that I ate treif, but I'm not sorry that I broke Shabbos. So can you do that on Yom Kippur? If you go to Hashem and say, I'm really, really sorry I treif. I will never eat treif again. Please forgive me, Hashem. But I'm going to Machal Shabbos. So it's very hard to say that you could do that. There's the 630 mitzvahs. You can't say like, I'm sorry I did half of them, but not the others. So it so says uh, the Eitz Yosef. It says like, so when you come and say, I'm sorry that uh, I ate treif, but I'm not sorry that I spoke Loshon Hora about that person. So it says, not only do you not get a tone for speaking Loshon Hora, you don't get a tone for, spe- for eating treif either. Yom Kippur is an absolute waste of time. So, so long as you haven't gone and asked for forgiveness, you cannot achieve any level of, of, of atonement in Yom Kippur, which is phenomenal. So it means that if you're going to take this to the extreme, so if a person comes in, <coughs> that guy over there sitting on the cross me on shul, I don't speak to him because uh, I don't like him. He says, well, if you don't go speak to him, there's no point in coming to shul today. There's no point in fasting on Yom Kippur. Because until you've appeased your fellow man, there is absolutely no point to Yom Kippur. That's exactly the extreme it takes it to. Now, I don't know anyone who would practically in halacha say that that's what you should do. And that, that's, that's halachically how we paskin. But I think there's definitely something deep philosophically speaking. That the idea that if in order to uh, acquire people's atonement, 
um, uh, to people's forgiveness and to try to appease them as much as we can, that we need to uh, enhance our interpersonal relationships before we can uh, stand in front of Hashem and ask Him to forgive us. All right. Now, let's go on to the next idea. This also comes from the first Pasha of Achremot. Uh, we mentioned this in the Rashi show a little bit earlier. It says, "Shmata mechukutai v'mishpatai, Asher yaseh otam adam v'chay b'hem ani Hashem. She keep all my laws, my rules, by the pursuit of which man shall live. I am the Lord." So says the Gemara. Familiar name, Rabbi Lazar ben Azaria. Apparently, he's going to feature a bit tonight. It says, "Just as the mitzvah of circumcision, which rectifies one of the two hundred forty-eight limbs of the body, overrides Shabbat, so too a fortiori." So fortiori is what we call in Gomorrah terms a kovachomer, saving one's whole body, which is in, entirely involved in mitzvot overrides Shabbat. Meaning as follows. So the Gomorrah is dealing with the question, how do we know that you can break Shabbat to save a life? So we all know it. Why? Because we've all been taught it, that you have to break Shabbat. In fact, the Gomorrah comes and says that a person who asks a halachic question about whether he can break Shabbat to save a life, the, he is a murderer, as is the rabbi of that town. Meaning that if the rabbi hasn't taught his community that they have to drop everything and keep Shabbat uh, and, and Mechal Shabbat to save a life, then he is himself accountable for that. He's obligated to teach people. So, so I'm doing my job now. Break Shabbos, save a life. In fact, just parenthetically, there's a very interesting question going on in the rabbinic circles at the moment about this COVID-19 app that the governments are recommending everybody get. So I'm sure everybody's downloaded it and that's well and good. So what about carrying your phone on Shabbat now? You know, if this is to save lives and that we can keep everyone, so can I carry my phone on Shabbat now? Or can I not carry my phone on Shabbat? So oh, if it's saving a life, it breaks all mitzvahs. No, you can break Shabbos to save a life. Okay, so that's one logic. And the other logic is, what are you talking about? No one's saving a life by carrying their phone. I mean, yes, uh, maybe if I walk and someone, t- and you, you know, 10 times removed, someone's life will be saved. But never to the degree that you could say that you could machal Shabbat. Anyway, so, so the Gemara comes and says, how do we know we can save Shabbat? So the first argument of Elazar ben Azariah says, well, we read in this last week's parasha, on the eighth day, you will circumcise the child, even if the eighth day is Shabbat. So for one limb of the body, you can machal Shabbat. So what about every limb in the body? Obviously, you can break Shabbat. So that's Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's logic. Rabbi Shimon ben Manasseh said, And the children of Israel shall keep Shabbat. So this we know from Shabbat. Should keep Shabbat forever. So if I don't keep Shabbat, if, if, I'm, if I die this week, so will I keep Shabbat next week? No, I'll be dead. So what should you do? So it says, Desecrate one Shabbat on, behalf, on, my, on his behalf, so you observe many Shabbatot. So, how do I am? Shambu Bnei said a Shabbat, Lasotet a Shabbat, Lodoratam Britolam. How do I keep Shabbat, Lodoratam Britolam, for all generations? I'm going to have to break this week so I can keep it for all generations. So, break one Shabbat in order to keep multiple Shabbatot. Rabbi Yehuda said, that Shmuel said, he said the name Shmuel, should keep all my statutes and my ordinances which the people shall do and live by them, so that, and not they should die by them. In circumstances, one must take care not to die as a result of keeping the mitzvot. So from this Pasuk, in this week's parasha, we learn, and this is the, how we paskin, that you should 
live by the mitzvot and not die by the mitzvot. So whatever the case might be, a person should not keep mitzvot if it is going to be at risk to their lives. So um, what just becomes interesting questions is uh, how, how far does this go? So let's just say, for argument's sake, that um, uh, this, the, the, the phone question. So, so someone asked me, well, sort of this question came out. So, so can we carry the phone on Shabbat? So, you know, it's pikuach nefesh. So I said, well, can't you just stay home? So if you stay home, then you don't have to uh, carry the phone. And you, so you don't have to machal Shabbat and there's no pikuach nefesh. So, you know, everybody wins. And so there are certain times where you have to look, think a little bit outside the box on how you uh, address these particular questions. But definitely the broad rule of, of, of uh, thumb is that one has to mechalo Shabbat and uh, not break. Uh, sorry, should uh, mechalo Shabbat in order to save a life. All right. <coughs> All right. So now is a question which is, uh, it, it, it not only bothers me now, but it has bothered me pretty much since I read it. Sorry, I'm just, this is just jumping here. All right. So, if you open a Pashat Achremot, one of the most bizarre, probably mitzvahs in the entire Torah, is that of what we call the Seer Azazel, the scapegoat. So, what happens? So, this comes right at the beginning of, the, of uh, Pashat Achremot. It says, You should take two he goats and stand them before before Hashem, and you shall play lots on the two he goats, one lot for Hashem and one lot for Azazel. So what Azazel means is not entirely clear, but in essence, what will happen? You've got these two goats. They look completely identical in every way. The Kohen Gadol would come and take lots, literally a goral, like a, and and dip his hand in and pick out the one for Hashem, and this one would be offered as a sacrifice in the temple, and the other one that looks exactly the same would be sent la Azazel. Now, where's Azazel? So, different opinions. Why? Some of the opinions say you just let it go wander in the woods. You just let it go free and wander in the woods. Others want to say no. You take it to a terrible cliff down near somewhere near the Dead Sea. And you throw it off a cliff. And this is, if you read the Yom Kippur davening, the Musaf, this is how it brings up, is that it would be, you know, ripped apart and, you know, all over before it even hit the bottom. All right. So that, and that is supposed to be the, uh, the thing that all the sins of the generation or of the, of, the, of the nation are put on the head of this scapegoat and it is sent up. Now, if you've ever wondered where the concept of a scapegoat comes from, that's where it's from, that all the sins are placed on the goat and the goat goes and dies and that is somehow going to um, <coughs> achieve atonement for the rest of us. So that is the scapegoat. Literally, it has been blamed for the sins of everybody else. Okay, so that's where scapegoat comes from. So question is, what on earth is going on here? How, like this idea, I mean, how, how on earth does it, uh, this idea that you've got a goat that you're sending out to the wilderness or you're chucking off a cliff and you're going to, and Azazel. So in modern Hebrew, if you're not familiar with the word Azazel, so it's usually the term when it tells someone to go to hell. You say, Lech Lazazel. So that now, the different commentaries with Azazel is an acronym, is a word, is it a demon? There's everything under some. So we've got to take two different uh, approaches to look at it. One through the Rambam and one through the Sephono. And then I'm going to quote one from the Natsif, which is a, quite an interesting one. But the, the Rambam says as follows. So this is the Rambam's Namur Nebuchim. It's his philosophical work. He says as follows. 
Scripture tells us that the Egyptians worshipped Ares and therefore abstained from killing sheep and held shepherds in contempt. So we see this through every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. That's what Yosef tells his brothers when they come down to Egypt. When Pharaoh says, what do you do for a living? Tell him that you're shepherds because shepherds are abominations and they will make you go live in Goshen. And some sect upon the Sabaeans worship demons and imagine that these assume the form of a goat. So even now, I think the Satanists worship goats. And they called them goats, Seirim. Thus the, sorry. Thus the very act which is considered by the heathen as the greatest crime is the means of approaching God and obtaining his pardon for, for our sins. In this matter, evil principles, the diseases of the human souls are cured by other principles which are diametrically opposed. Meaning as follows. The, the whole purpose of the experience of the scapegoat is it is not a sacrifice. So what is the concept of sacrifice? Is I, I offer up this offering and it gives me atonement. But what the Rambam is saying here is an educational principle that it is trying to wean. And this is consistent with the Rambam's opinion that the concept of sac- the, the temple was to wean us off paganism. So on Pesach, why do we, why the Passover offering? What was the whole idea of the Passover offering? So the Rambam sort of alluded to it here. It says that the Egyptians worshipped Ares. They worshipped the ram god. So what do we do? We slaughter the ram because their god, we would also, as slaves, have a certain level of awe to their ram god. So what do we do? We sacrifice their ram god in order that we do not feel anything. It, it, it extricates this paganistic uh, inclination from us. That is why we do it. So, so to the scapegoat. So there are people out there who are worshipping goats and they think that the goat is very holy. What do we do? We, we sacrifice. We get rid of it. We chuck it off a cliff. Why? Because it will expunge from within us this, this concept of goat gods. That is what the purpose of, and the Rambam is consistent throughout the, every time he deals with the idea of sacrifices, the sacrifice is there to get rid of the idol worshipping inclination between us. Now, what the Rambam doesn't say, but many um, more modern opinions, dare I say, have brought out from this Rambam is that in the third temple, there will no longer be sacrifices because um, since there's no longer desire to do Avodah there's no longer desire to do idol worship. So now there's no desire to, why do we need sacrifices? Who's, who's sacrificing anything these days? No one's sacrificing goats and cows and sh- sheep. So the, that, that pagan desire is gone. So therefore, why would we sacrifice goats according to the Rambam? See, according to the Rambam, there will not be sacrifices in the third temple. I don't know anyone of stature that says that. But I have heard it said in a number of other people. So that's the Rambam's point that the scapegoat is really there as a, um, as a, a means to eradicating paganism from our midst. The Saporno, or Sforno, says something slightly different, or slightly, completely different. He says as follows. This is source number six on the, on the, on the screen. You've got a t- the two goats. Harishon. The first one regarding sins that is offered up in the Beit HaMikdash. But the, um, the goat of all the sins of the community. Tumato Lo Yaut Lizboach Umitame 
the sins that are weighed down are too severe. Now, generally speaking, when we talk about the temple and uh, offering up sacrifices, invariably the only time you would bring a sacrifice to the temple is if you, you did something accidentally. So you by mistake broke Shabbat, or you're not sure you might have broken Shabbat, or you might have eaten something treif, or you accidentally ate something treif. That's what you mean. But if you said, you know what, I like treif, and then you eat treif, and you say, you know what, uh, I'm going to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice because I ate treif, <coughs> no sacrifice to bring. Because... So um, there's no sacrifice to bring because the, you did it on purpose. But the Shemishtalach, the scapegoat, that is for all the, not only the unintentional sins, but even the intentional sins, everything, all the, all the chazarai that we've had with us over the course of the year, that we've done, all these terrible things that we've done, we heap those onto the scapegoat. Says the Sephorno, and you want to bring this thing into the temple? You can't bring this thing into the temple. That's why it's got to get sent out. It is too defiled to bring into the temple. So what you have over here is between the Rambam and the Sephorna, where the Sephorna says it's a sacrifice, but it is such an impure sacrifice that it can't be sacrificed in the altar. It has to be sent off the cliff. And the Rambam says, no, what are you talking about? It's not got to do with sacrifice. It's got to do with an educational principle completely uh, removed from the concept of, uh, of the temple. Okay. So that's the Sephorna and, uh, and the Rambam. All right. I want to go now into the next parasha. We've got, um, uh, this is, without a doubt, so if, if you ever learn the Ramban, this is the most famous Ramban on the entire Torah, and starts at the beginning of the second parasha from this week's parasha, and it is a parasha Kadoshim. It says, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the whole Israelite communion, say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So the mitzvah that you should be holy. So what on earth does it mean to be holy? So it's not entirely clear. And uh, I remember the first time I heard this in a shir when the, the rabbi asked, what does it mean to be holy? No one had an idea what it means to be holy. It's a very difficult term to understand. So Rashi explains that the term to be holy comes immediately after what had preceded it in the Torah, which was refraining from sexual impropriety. And that a person who is, uh, is uh, chaste in their sexual behavior is automatically holy. But the Ramban brings a different opinion. It says as follows, and in my opinion, this abstinence does not refer only to restraint from acts of immorality, as Rashi wrote, but rather the self-control mentioned throughout the Talmud, which confers upon those who practice it the name of Prushim, Pharisees, literally those who are separated from self-indulgence. The meaning thereof is as follows, the Torah has admonished us against immorality and forbidden foods, but has permitted sexual intercourse between man and his wife and the eating of certain meat and wine. If so, a man of desire could consider this to be permission to be passionately addicted to sexual intercourse with his wife or many wives and be among the drunkards and among gluttonous eaters of meat and speak freely all profanities since this prohibition has not been expressly mentioned in the Torah. And thus he will become a Naval Bereshut HaTorah, a sort of person with a permissible realm of Torah. Therefore, I've enlisted all the matters which he prohibits it all together. The scripture follows up by a general command that we should practice moderation even in matters which are permitted. So what the Ramban is saying is that there is two areas of Jewish law. There is halacha and what I'm going to term meta halacha. Halacha is the letter of the law. So, you know, what does the Torah say we must do? And what does the Torah say we cannot do? But then there's another area 
which is what should we do? How should we behave in particular circumstances? So can I have, let's just say, there's, there's, uh, there's one cookie left at the Shabbos table and there are four people who want it and I grab it first and eat it. So halakhically, have I done anything wrong? Absolutely not. It's there to be eaten. Go for it. There's not gnaiva. It's not a theft. You can eat it. He says, but you lack a certain sensitivity. Then what about maybe someone else wants the cookie? So what happens if this is my fifth cookie? I've already had five cookies. So is it wrong to steal it to have my sixth? He says, there's a certain area, idea of menschlichkeit. Same to like, uh, to get drunk. Where in the Torah does it say you can't get drunk? Where does it say in the Torah that you can't swear? Where's it say in the Torah that you have to iron your shirt, that you have to brush your hair, that you have to behave in a menschedika manner? Answer is it doesn't say it anywhere explicitly in the Torah. But there is an overriding principle on which the whole Torah stands. And that is be kadosh. So being kadosh is refraining from things that are halakhically permissible, but are not within the, the value system of the law. Now the Rambam says, I'm actually going to bring it in next week's uh, parasha. I'll give you a bit of a... Ups, you know, insight into next week's parasha. He says the same thing with regards to Shabbat. So, you know, if I set my TV on a time switch, and so now I can sit on Shabbat and watch TV all day long, have I machalot Shabbat? Well, I set my, my, my hot plate on a time switch, I set my lights on a time switch, why can't I switch my TV on a time switch? Halakhically, 100%, you're 100% correct, you can. He says, but the, it's not within the spirit of halakha. So the spirit of Kedusha, is being able to do that which is beyond the letter of the law. And there's what the Ramban understands here as being Kadosh. All right. So that is my... Huh. I thought my... Why did I have a feeling in my... Give me two secs. I thought my sheet was a little bit longer than that. Give me two secs. Huh. It didn't. Okay. So I want to share one more idea with you this evening. Uh... No screen share because it's not there. But it's um, based on this, um, well, let me give a couple of ideas. One I want to deal with is this mitzvah that comes in the parasha, which is quite a fascinating idea. So there's a general rule in the Torah, that you can never bring a pasuk completely out of its simple understanding. That, uh, that it, there's always has to be a literal meaning of a pasuk, that it can't be completely allegorical. So there's a mitzvah as follows. You should not curse the deaf man. And you should not place a stumbling block in front of the blind. So the mitzvah of not placing a stumbling block in front of the blind. What is the mitzvah? Is it really to not place, there's a person who's blind and I go and I get a block and I put it in front of them so they trip. Is that what the mitzvah is? Don't do that. So Rashi over here, and this is a Gemara, In somebody, in front of somebody who is blind to a particular matter, meaning they lack understanding and knowledge on a particular area of life, do not give them bad advice. So it brings a financial idea, but the idea is saying, you know what, you should really invest in this particular stock, and I know that that stock's going to plummet tomorrow. Or you, you, giving people poor... So that's what lotite michsho means, don't place a stumbling block. The question is, if I did place a stumbling block in front of a person, what avaira would I be transgressing? Would I be transgressing this avaira, or would I be transgressing another avaira? So that is just an interesting... An interesting point. 
Um, a couple of other ideas. Lord is not a You should not hate your brother in your heart, but you should surely rebuke him. So, uh, but you should not um, do a sin as a result of it. <coughs> so it says, do not hate your brother in your heart. What does it mean, do not hate your brother in your heart? You should tell him. So if someone does something that uh, offends you, you should not keep it to yourself, but you should share it. So the, the, the Chazal say that, you know, who was fantastic at doing this, and they actually praised them in doing this, with the brothers. So it says in Parashat Vayeshev, when it talks about the, the animosity that Yosef's brothers had towards him, it says, They could not speak peacefully with him. So to say, you know, they didn't, they weren't echad balev echad bapeh. That they, in their hearts, they felt one thing, but when they spoke, they felt something completely different. So what we call two-faced. So there's something uh, that you have to say. This. You have to rebuke them, you have to tell them what's wrong, but you should not cause a sin as a result. So this becomes uh, perhaps one of the greatest challenges in interpersonal relationships. If somebody does something that you find offensive, what's the best way to approach it? So the underlying idea over here is that that the whole of B'nai Yisrael are accountable for one another. And since we're all in the same boat, there is a necessity that if somebody is doing something wrong, I need to do my best to bring them back on the straight and narrow, straight and narrow because we're all in the same boat. And his crime is uh, part of my crime. And as, as, so long as there are people who are not doing what they're supposed to, my avodat Hashem, my own personal uh, service is uh, somewhat compromised. Now this has halachic ramifications. So for example, if you make Kiddush, um, you make Friday night Kiddush, and then you meet someone who hasn't heard Kiddush. Can you make Kiddush again? So the ordinary move, if you've done a mitzvah, you, you know, you're gonna, you've done the mitzvah, so you should make Kiddush. He says, they don't know how to make Kiddush. So says, can I make Kiddush for them? So he says, yes. Why can you make Kiddush for them? He says, because so long as they haven't heard Kiddush, it's as if you haven't heard Kiddush either. You still, there's something lacking in your mitzvah. So since you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah in its complete entirety, you still can fulfill the mitzvah. You can still do it again. So this is the obligation. So, I have to, so if I see someone doing something wrong, I have to rebuke them. But why am I rebuking them? Because I care about them. And that's where I think the, the challenge comes, is most of the time we consider rebuke telling somebody off. So someone's talking next to us in shul, so we want to shush them. Someone pushes in front of us, so we want to yell at them. Whatever the case might be, invariably, it is not coming for their own best interest. It is coming to vent and to um, expose our own insecurities and our own egos. And that is not the mitzvah. And that's what ends at the end. It says, and don't, do not bring it, don't make matters worse. I've never met anyone that has been shushed, that has accepted the shush wholeheartedly and happily and not resented the shusha. It, it's something we have to be very careful about. That if we really care about people, we need to rebuke them in a way that they will hear. So I heard from one of my rabbinim once that, you know, rebuke, if you see people with Mechal Shabbos, you know, throwing rocks at their cars and screaming out Shabbos is unlikely to make them, you know, you know, if you're driving down, I, I was once, I was once in Masharim and a, a taxi driver had somehow gotten into Masharim before the sirens for Shabbos come up. And when the sirens go up in Masharim, the road barriers go up. So this taxi driver had gotten in, let off somebody, and now was trying to leave, but now the barrier's up and was driving through Masharim once Shabbos had come in to try to get out. And literally a mob came around his car and were bashing on the 
bashing on the on the car and screaming Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. And uh, I was honestly scared that they were going to lynch him. He found a way out. And I, so like, what are the chances? Now, to be told, he, he probably wasn't even a Jewish driver. He was probably an Arab driver. But let's just say it was a Jewish driver. What's the likelihood of him saying, you know what? These people are right. You know, I'm going to get out my car, leave my keys here, Shabbos. That's not how we keep Shabbos. So, so my rab said, says, you know, once upon a time, maybe by yelling Shabbat and chastising people, it would work. But nowadays, you know how you, you, you rebuke someone? You invite them for a meal. You greet them. You show them that you care about them. And maybe through time that, uh, you know, to rebuke someone doesn't mean that you change their behavior immediately. It means that you invest some time in trying to bring them back to Hashem. And that's what the mitzvah rebuke is. So I think the, the, the area which is always the most challenging is with our kids. Is so often um, our own anger and our own frustration and venting on our children rather than doing what's in our own kids' best interest. And so doing in our own, our own kids' best interest is uh, the ultimate mitzvah of rebuke, is trying to get them to uh, come back onto appropriate behavior um, rather than just to yell at them. All right, everybody, I'm going to cut it a little bit shorter this evening. My throat is ready. And you see, I, haven't, I haven't given shirim. I've been organizing shirim, but haven't been giving many shirim. But I wish you all a Shabbat Shalom. I hope to see you all tomorrow evening at uh, our um, Kabbalat Shabbat. And I hope to see you next week and have a wonderful evening. Shabbat Shalom, everyone.